flame bench. There's all kinds of excitement going on there. Scores! Roll the highlight reel. Six to nothing flame. Yankees put it in the lead column. This is Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg and Ryan Pike on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Yeah, we got Pike with us this hour, which is underway on a Thursday, February 23rd. Coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Welcome to the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Be proactive in protecting your property. Get a full security audit from Calgary Lock and Safe. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com. Hello, Pike. Hi, Pat. We get a we get a full hour together. We don't have no no guests to take yeah. away your talking time. I'm excited. I always yeah. feel bad. There's always a a guest in your hours, so we and, only get and, the one segment together. And, and I finally met Brent Cron in person. So I mean, this is an exciting day on multiple fronts, Pat. Brent Cron, part of hour one on this uh, Thursday Flames talk on Vladar and Markstrom on Calgary's identity and a whole lot more. Um. Lots to get to this hour. Obviously, trade deadline stuff. We'll uh, touch on some of uh, some of the scuttlebutt out there that could be aimed or directed or linked to the Calgary Flames. But before we do that, and and this kind of has a trade deadline bent to it as well. But this time of year, everything does. It, it's kind of hard to not connect everything. I just really am liking the way the Jacob Pelche and Walker Dewar stories continue to progress here. And I think at this point, you have got to find ways to keep them on the roster. And and what I mean by that is, you know, right now they're carrying a full 23. And if all of a sudden, whether it's Michael Stone coming back from injury, although we don't think that's going to be for a little while, I think that's still uh, week to week is probably the best way to classify Stone's injury. But I just, I know that because Pelche and Dewar are waiver exempt, they're easier guys to send back. And hell, we've already seen Dewar get sent back after playing really, really well because they don't have to worry about waivers and an extra day and the yeah. risk of a, a guy a, getting a, claimed. A, a bunch of guys who had waiver exemptions when they had gaps in the schedule, both at Christmas, but at the All-Star break, yep. guys got sent down so they could hoard cap space. Well, and even even earlier this year, once everybody, once Brett Ritchie got healthy, it was Dewar who got sent back down, even though he had played really, really well. And, and a big reason for that is because He's an easier guy to send down. I just let's start with Dewar because he adds something to that fourth line. He is he, to me the best guy that we've seen on the right I, side of that. I fourth thought line. he was. I thought he was their best player in terms of playing his role, knowing his assignment, and doing it well. I thought he was their best player against Arizona. He made such a smart play on the Lucic goal, cutting to the net. He made a supremely confident play on that sixth goal. I mean, how many times? Not forget, forget just fourth liners. How many Flames players have had the the wherewithal to get that kind of open space and then just said, you know what, I'm just going to cut to that and try to backhand it past the goalie. Walker Dewar is one of a handful of guys who's done that. And when you have guys who can add that kind of an element to your team on any line, but especially when you have a guy like him who has who does not shy away from playing physical, you have something that can add a lot of value to your hockey club and. Like you said, like I, I don't know who else in the organization. You know, I, I talked to uh, you know Flamesation.ca. We do our, our summertime prospect rankings, and so I had a long chat with uh, with Mitch Love about a bunch of players. But the thing he singled out about uh, Walker Dewar is NHL skating, like NHL speed. He's just he's got that separation speed, and it can it can add a lot of stuff to your team. And 
if you have the ability to put that in without taking anything else out of it, why wouldn't you try to keep that in as long yeah. as you can, right? And and I just like he's been and to your point, like he's been the guy who has embraced and executed his role the best on that fourth line. And I'm a big Brett Ritchie guy. You go back to the preseason, you go back to early in the year. I've been a, a big proponent of Brett Ritchie defending the re-signing, so on and so forth. I just really like what Walker Dewar has brought to the table. He has spent more time at the right side of the ice when he's on the ice. Things are in the offensive zone a whole lot more. They, he's he's been able to add a little offense. He finishes his chances. He plays with a little edge. He might not be the most physical guy in the world, but he doesn't shy away from physicality. Um, he's got some speed to his game, some bite to his game. So I I like it, and and I I know that we Daryl had said earlier this year that Dewar was up because Richie was hurt and they saw Dewar as a straight up replacement of Richie while Richie was injured i think in in Dewar's time what is nine games or whatever he's played i think it's nine now I think um, it's nine. Dewar's outplayed Richie and and Done. Dewar Dewar has put himself on a straight up merit standpoint to me he's on the top of the depth chart for that right side of the fourth line yeah and i i think the the thing for the flames is you know, if you look at how they've managed some of their call-ups, I mean, Pelche, you know, after that two-week uh, transition period, he, he's been thrown in and he's been a fixture, and we'll get into him momentarily. But, you know, get Dennis Gilbert, when he got brought in, they slot him right in. It seems like, you know, for a lot of these guys, especially guys who are on their second or third time around that Daryl Sutter's gotten to know, watched them a bit. Yep. He, you know, I think it's a benefit for a lot of these call-up guys that Daryl watches the Wranglers as intently as he does because Walker Doerr is more of a known quantity, I think, to, to Daryl than he would have been just from a preseason or just from, you know, seeing him occasionally in Stockton last year or in this very brief call-up last year. I, so I think it's good for him, but I also think, you know, he's... He's been given the opportunity. I'm pretty sure when he got called up, they said, "Here's what where we're starting you. It's up to you to you know. It's up to you to stick yeah. in or or not stick in." And he's he's done. You know, I think <laughs> when a fourth liner gets you multiple points in a game, you don't really question. It. You just go, "Okay, great. If you can do that regularly, uh, you might not be on the fourth line very long because they might move you up." Yeah, uh, and and underlying metrics strong um and and again the, that line when they've been together strong i really like the duo specifically and this is not a knock on milan lucic who had a really good game against arizona on wednesday but i really like the the connection or chemistry or whatever term you want to use between lewis and doer i think lewis has been his best at center when he's had doer on his right side lewis is such a swiss army knife he can play all three of those positions on the fourth line he can move up in the lineup and he, if and need be and he's but he's been really good at center when doer has been on the right and he and Dewar is so good in terms of puck pursuit in terms of retrievals forechecking and you know just just that first goal they scored was entirely a plumber goal it was two guys go in and decide we're not leaving the corner until we come out with a puck and it turned into a really good scoring chance in the opening goal and you know for a team that a doesn't score a lot and b tends to be chasing a lot in games getting the first goal is really important and you know it would have been nicer for them if they got multiple opening goals but for what they needed in that game to keep the wagon rolling along, they did a really nice job. And, you know, I'd say this, if we think back to the best 
incarnation of the fourth line that Flames have had in our time here. It was that Mangiapane, Derek Ryan, Garnet Hathaway trio. And part of the reason was you could sort of play them all over the place, but you had, you know, a couple of guys who had speed, a guy who could play physical, a guy up the middle who could really manage the, manage the ice and sort of decide who, you know, how to flow the puck. And I think, you know, I think Lucic is, you know, the slowest guy of the three of them right now. But I think, you know, as, as Hathaway, or as, no, as Hathaway, as Walker Dewar gets more you and more. Boston Bruin, Garnet Hathaway? Boston Bruin, Garnet Hathaway. But I think as Walker Dewar gets more and more used to the NHL style, I think he has Hathaway-esque upside. I don't know if he has much more than that, but, you know, if... But oh you, well, you if need, he does, you need fourth liners. If you need good fourth liners, I mean, I'm sure you know when the Flames had you know that the Mangiapane Ryan Hathaway fourth line. I don't think they ever went dang too bad. They're a fourth line. I think they went great. That means that the other team doesn't get a, a shift off. It means you have you know one more weapon that they have to worry about. And you know it's it's one game, but the one game is good enough against a, a pretty scrappy Arizona team well, that I think they have some upside there. And, and regardless of what happens, Dewar's a restricted free agent at the end of this year. But, okay, so say he plays the rest of the season, say he plays 10 more games, I don't know. But you're going to get him back next year on a one- or two-year deal at like $900,000. And and so there's not like you need guys like that who are effective know their role and come in at six figures you yeah. need those guys especially with where calgary's cap is going and so for him to continue to develop and get more comfortable in his role and as you said more comfortable in the nhl this season i think there's only a benefit to that cuz i don't think there's anything that's going to happen between now and the end of the season that's going to bump Dewar's number much over 900,000. He's going to be uh he's going to be a six-figure cap hit next year regardless. I, I and think, those are important guys. Effective I, I think six for figures him, guys are good. I think for him he feels like the kind of guy that, you know, and we'll we'll have time to, to pour over the minutiae in the offseason. He feels like the kind of guy that gets a multi-year deal and maybe one year's a one-way, one year's a two-way. He feels like the kind of guy that they bridge in that way because Maybe you're not sold to him as a full-time NHLer next season. Maybe he's not a day one NHLer, but he kind of feels, based on his style, based on his his style of play and his comfort zone that he seems to have found the NHL, he seems like a guy that if he's not an NHL regular by October, he might be by Christmas. And you need those guys. You, you if you find a guy, you know, let's say that he's a college free agent. His the the Flame Scouts found him. They did not have to give up a draft pick or assets or anything for them. They just said, "You want to come play for the Flames." So the more guys you can do that with, the the more chances you get to fill your system with guys. And sometimes they turn into. I don't know, uh, Kenny Morrison. Sometimes they just don't turn into much of anything at the AHL level and you just go, oh, well. Uh, Kenny Morrison was a, a defenseman they signed out of, I forget what what Midwestern University, but he turned into a third-pairing, seventh defenseman at the AHL level. Only Pike, man. Only Pike but some pull out some, that reference. Some guys turn into Lomberg or Cathway or or, or uh, Walker Door or Connor Mackey, and sometimes they turn into Kenny Morrison. And the more guys you can you can grab from the entry level or into the entry level system from college, from Europe, from wherever. And I have a feeling the Flames will try to be pretty active in the, in both those markets the next few months. The, the more guys who have a chance, the easier it is for you to convince other guys yeah. to come in. I'm pretty sure when the when you know Craig Conway or Bradley Living or whoever go, are going out to college players now, they'll point to, hey, they got a got a kid from uh, from your school or from your conference that uh, is playing pretty good hockey because mm-hmm. he was given an opportunity to. And 
that's it's worth something. Con- Connie is the guy who does the college free agents. So I, yeah, yeah. Have you seen Walker Dewar? He we we signed him out of college. He's playing. Come on in. Uh, hey, their 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 mo for the last decade is apparently special assistant to the GM was code for you send Craig and two contracts in a plane somewhere and then you hope he comes back with good players. You are going to the Frozen Four right now and you're coming back with Johnny Gaudreau in a burlap sack and he did well done. They, uh, they had to use the medium size sack. Yeah, the, I think Bill Arnold wasn't the largest guy either. So. I think Bill Arnold came willingly though. Yeah, that's a good point. The NHL, what? Played his one game, and uh, that was it. Um, poor Bill Arnold. <laughs> the forgotten guy of the euphoria of that day. I remember because I had gotten a tip off that it was happening. And what, what was that line? It was Hayes, Arnold, and uh, Gaudreau and was Gaudreau, that monster yeah. line for BC that year. Yeah, and they, they were really good that year. Uh, and then there's Pelche, who I, I can say a lot of similar things about Pelche as I can about Dewar, but further up the depth chart. You know, Pelche's playing, I guess on this team, he's playing a top nine role because they don't have a top six. They've got a top nine. And Pelche's been a top nine left winger. He's had a couple of off nights. I didn't like him against the Rangers at Madison Square Garden. I didn't like him against Philadelphia on Monday. But you know what? There's guys who are 10 years into their NHL careers who I can say that about at different times this year. You don't have great nights every night. You're not perfect every night, but his details, his IQ, and his commitment to making sure that things are taken care of both with the puck and away from it has been at an NHL level to this point. He's given them a kick offensively. He's given them a little bit more pace on that line and very similar to, to Walker Dewar. I think at this point, until Dewar or Pelche, and we're talking about Jacob now, until they give you reason to think otherwise, I just don't know why you're not rolling with both of them for the rest of the season. Or or, or you don't need to put a time frame on it. You don't have to say, they're here for the rest of the year. But at the very least, like just go forward with them indefinitely until they prove you otherwise. Yeah, and and I think you know, I'll, I'll say this about Pelche. He's he's been what I expected, and that's I mean as a compliment. Based on what I saw from him in the American League level, he's been what I expected. His details are good. He's you know I'd say I even the the two games like you know I obviously wasn't at MSG, so I didn't see his uh, his game against the Rangers in New York in person, so I had to rely on videotape. But from the videotape, he was he was fine. You know the his bad games, he's fine. He's neither good nor bad. He doesn't hurt you when he's not good. He's just present. Whereas when he's on his game, he does so many little things in all three zones that just create different looks, different, different wrinkles to his game. And the thing I like about him is, you know, the, 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 the second power play goal that he set up, the backland goal might've been the, the, the encompassing of the Jacob Pelche experience as a pro because sort of a, 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 a bloop pass that got away from everybody he chases it down. He takes the time. He makes a nice pass to Manjipani. Manjipani is double covered. So the puck doesn't get to him, but it doesn't get turned over because Pelche battles back, steals it and then sends it across the, uh, the crease to Backlund. I mean, by the time anyone for the coyotes realized what was going on, it was already in the net. And it's because Pelche had that kind of gumption yeah. in a game the team was already winning by two goals. He's like, no, no, I'm going to keep battling. And I think they, that basically wore the Coyotes down in the second half of that game. And he's one of those guys, 
we talk about, you know, one of the things the Flames, I think, miss is the snarl uh, of Matthew Kachuk, but also the the most common refrain we got from teammates of Kachuk's was, he drags you into it. He's basically, Kachuk was one of those guys that, you know, he'd, you know, dre- he'd, whatever he does, he'd crash and bang and the f- crowd would form and you basically, you know, you got to be on your toes when he's on the ice. Pelche doesn't do it with as much physicality, but he plays with such pace that he basically makes sure that everyone in either team is kind of aware of where he is and where the puck is. And, you know, does he have Johnny Gaudreau level hands? No. Does he have Johnny Gaudreau level skates? Probably not. But he's got such great situational awareness that, you know, he's one of those guys that just absorbs what everyone else is doing on the ice and learns from it. And he's, I, I have a feeling that when we see him in camp in, in October, mm-hmm. he's going to look like a completely different player because he's had this experience. And I, I'd almost argue that in the last, you know, he's been on the NHL roster, I think, for 40 days now. Compared to his first two games, I think his game has already taken a big step yeah, forward in I terms agree. of the details and in terms of his consistency. Well, and I think he's also getting more confident offensively. And I think that he is getting more... Um, he, I, I think he's less worried about being creative and what that might do. You know, sometimes when you're a young player, you've got offensive creativity, you've got offensive skill, but you're playing for a coach like Daryl Sutter, who is very, very relentless when it comes to details and your checking game and your stick positioning and just, you don't make, you can't make mistakes. And I think sometimes for a young player that can stifle creativity a little bit, stifle's not even the right word. I think it can just make you a little bit more tentative when it comes to doing things more creatively. Whereas I think Dylan Dubé struggled with that for a little bit. Not even struggled, but he had to adjust to that. And, and I think Pelche we've, is doing that right We've now. heard Daryl sort of compare Pelche's overall style as game, as package to Dubé Manjapani. And I think for him, I mean, A, one, it's kind of neat that they have three guys like that that they drafted and brought up through a system. You could make, you can draw up comparisons and parallels between how all three guys are really brought up. But just the fact that they've, they've had the ability to, and with a lot of the same coaches and development people bring up, bring up all three guys. And I think the fact that they've gone through the growing pains with Manjapani, with Dubé, with a lot of these younger guys, I think it gives them the ability to inform how they use Pelche and how they, you know, how they make adjustments to him game by game. You know, I think I think that's one of the things, the nice things about the continuity that the, the club has had in terms of a lot of their scouting and, and development staff yeah. because they can get on the horn and say, hey, this reminds me of the time we did this with Mangiapane. Have you thought about blank? And so far, so good. I mean, we'll see how it goes. It's only been a dozen games, but, you know, a dozen games and of the dozen, he's been, he's looked varying degrees of good in eight to 10 of them. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty good sample size. Well, and it it certainly brings up the conversation about does that, can that, does it enter into Brad Tree Living's thought process ahead of the trade deadline? Does does it make him, because Dewar has fit in, because Pelche's looked okay, does that make him a little less urgent in going and acquiring another forward, if he was thinking about doing that anyway. And I, I just yeah. I wonder about that. They've got, what, four games now until yep. the deadline? Yep. They've got the two left on the road and the two at home. So four games until the deadline, and if Pelche continues to make an impact and Dewar continues to be just fine, I just wonder if that, that maybe dials down the urgency or the amount that Brad would be chasing going yep. after a guy like that or, and, or, and, or that type of play. And I think the quality of opposition will inform a lot of that stuff too because what the last four games are what? Vegas, Colorado, 
Boston, Toronto. Toronto. Yep. So those are four hitters. Those are four, especially Boston after the trade they made on Thursday. You know, and Toronto's already made their trade. Colorado's trying to get healthy. Those are four teams that probably think they can win a Stanley Cup or at least make a good run at it. So if you're if you're you know the, the Flames, as an aside, folks, uh, the AHL has a roster deadline on deadline day two. So if you're not if you're you know if you're on the Calgary Wranglers roster. As of the trade deadline, the NHL, uh, 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Friday the 3rd, then you're eligible to play in the Caller Cup playoffs. And spoiler, the Wranglers are probably going to go on a fairly hefty Caller Cup run. So They're definitely going to make it. They're going to make it. I think they're second or third overall in points percentage in the entire league. So I think one of the, one of the things you have to balance is, okay, if you're the Flames, do you got to wonder, A, do Dorr and, and Pelche help you more than whatever random guy you'd get for a fifth-round pick the day of the deadline? And also, does it help them develop more than going down? And not, you don't necessarily need to have it be an exclusive decision. You could send down both guys before the deadline, do your business, and then call them back up and burn your recalls. <laughs> I'm a hand talker, and Pat just saw the best work I've done all day. Uh but yeah, so you got to, I think those are the things you got to balance in terms of, you know, do you want to burn two recalls on guys who are regular parts of your roster? Maybe, maybe not. Depends what, uh, what it's worth to you. Depends how much flexibility is worth to you. Yeah. And I don't think that, you know, the, the four recall limit has never really hindered hockey clubs because once you get past the deadline, everyone's kind of banged up anyway. So day to day injuries that would have gotten played through if the team's on the fringes and falls out of it a bit. Oh, maybe they're on the IR for a little bit. Maybe they just can't play. Maybe they're unavailable. But the calculus changes after the deadline day. But that also means you have to make the tough decisions in the coming days or the week next week or so we have because those kind of decisions will have ripple effects throughout the organization and throughout the rest of the season. Um, and I just I take a look at the price that Boston paid to bring in a defenseman and a forward. If you if you haven't seen the trade on Thursday, Washington acquiring Dmitry Orlov and Garnet Hathaway from Boston for a first, second, third, and Craig Smith. That's what Boston gives up and gives to and, Washington. And a fifth round pick yeah. <laughs> goes to Minnesota as the Wild for a second time so, have helped the team uh, with cap retention. So it's a double retention move. First, Orlov goes to Minnesota and then goes from Minnesota to Boston. Similarly, how Ryan O'Reilly went from St. Louis to Minnesota, Minnesota to Toronto. So that's yeah. a that's four picks they give. Now, Craig Smith is is uh, he's he's a roster player. That's again a money move. He's a guy that's been in and out of the lineup in Boston. But that's four picks they gave up, including three in the top ninety-two or ninety-four or whatever it is. Yeah, like, and a first in—that's bonkers. And a first in the the most stacked first-round class. They gave up in a, a generation. twenty-three first. Washington now has two first-round picks. Now we all expect Boston's to be Boston's going to win the President's Trophy, which means the lowest their pick can be is 32, 31, So it's a twenty-eight or twenty-seven. Yeah, they'll be the, they're the, the lowest it can be. They'll be the the highest-ranked division winner at worst. So yes. that means they're drafting at worst fifth from last in the first so round. If they, if they go out in the first round, the best the pick can be is 27th overall. Yeah. Because conference finalists and cup finalists get the last four picks. 32, 31, it'll look 28. 
Yes, you're right. So yeah. 28 is yeah. the, so the if you, best if, it can be. I mean, if, See, this if, is why I have if, you here. If, yeah, I had to use my fingers now. But if you're if you're Boston, you're going, okay, you can maybe draft 28th to 32nd, but, you know, yes, you might as well get Orlov. Might as well. If you think that, if you think, if you think a Dmitry Orlov or, and or Gernot Hathaway is the difference between having a parade and not having a parade, you're, you can, you're, it's Nashville. If you're Boston? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, you're in Nashville for the draft. I'm pretty sure, you know, you're not going to really feel too awkward when they, you know, when Washington uses your pick, if you all have fancy rings on. So it's, it's a gamble, but I mean. Having seen how Boston looks, the gamble they should probably be making. The reason I bring it up is because that is a hefty price to pay. And we're talking, there's a lot of people talking about how the Flames need to go pounce on a forward. And this case, it was a defenseman. But when you take a look at the prices paid for O'Reilly and the prices paid for Tarasenko, and I, I understand that every big deal that we've seen have been Double acquisitions. Like, there's been two players going. It was O'Reilly with Achari. It was Tarasenko with Mikola. And now this one, no offense to Hathaway, but it's Orlov and Hathaway that go to Boston. But the main pieces are still costing a pretty penny. So if they want to go get one of those forwards that's out there, even if it's a Max Domi or even if it's a, a guy who's a pending UFA, I, just, I don't like the idea of them giving up one of their top 60 or top 32 picks or whatever. And so and when you've got Pelche and Dewar playing like this, if they can continue it for the next four games, I just I hope that it maybe gives Brad True Living and his hockey op staff a little more impetus to say, let's just sit this one out when it and, comes to these high prices. And when you look at, you know, we're, we're creeping up on uh, the window for teams to sign their 2021 draft picks before, uh, before June. And, you know, that, that'll sneak up on us pretty quick. But the idea, if you look at sort of how the Flames' 2021 picks have gone, I mean, a few of them have had really nice, uh, really nice seasons. I mean, you know, Connor Zary, good pick. Uh, Matt Coronado, Coronado is the 21, but Coronado, yeah, good pick. They're probably going to try to do something with him. But a lot of these other guys, you know, Cam Wynott, Cole Huckins, jo- Cole Jordan had missed 80% of the season with injuries and is shut down. I mean, they have a lot of guys in that age group who haven't really panned out and might not end up being signed. So if you're them in that context, maybe to backfill your system, you don't want to give up a fifth rounder for a substitute third, fourth liner or another third pairing guy, because you know, you're going to graduate some guys from your system. You're going to lose some guys from your system. You might as well, you might as well hold on to your bullets if you can and use them later. Few texts at nine sixty nine sixty. This says, "I love what these young guys are bringing to the team. Can't help thinking what Phillips would bring to the table if he was given a stretch of games. We need to know what they have in him as a player before he becomes a UFA. I don't think that one's going to happen. I just don't. Whether you agree or not with how the person is thinking, my read on it is that Daryl Sutter doesn't believe that he's an NHLer as of right now. I I just." The size and all of it. I just, I don't think the coach is there. So I'm not anticipating the same thing to happen with Matthew Phillips. He will be a group six unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. That does not mean he won't resign here because who knows? They give him a big money two-way deal, a big money American League contract on that two-way. Maybe the, the draw of staying in Calgary and playing for Mitch Love with the Wranglers again is enough. I don't know. But yes, he will be a UFA at the end of the year. There, there's a lot of variables to balance this offseason. 
Uh, what else we got here? Uh, this says, uh, I, I think this is Dylan and Revelstoke. That was an elite level Conroy you did there, and I'm disappointed in Pike for not saying anything. He didn't really, he didn't really roll with the the Conroy. It felt like I was talking to Craig, so I didn't want to ruin the moment. Yeah. Hey. So we got Walker Dewar here, and and look, he's playing fourth line minutes. So we're gonna sign you, and and you'll get that opportunity too. I'm doing that mostly because there's a decent chance Conroy is listening right now. Um, <laughs> this says, are we maybe getting too excited over Dewar and Pelche? They've only been noticeable in one game. I disagree. I actually disagree completely. They've only had multi points in one game. That was against Arizona. But since being recalled this year, Pike, Dewar's been noticeable like every time he's played to me. Pelche, as you talked about a little earlier, he's played 12 games, and you said, what, 8 to 10? Yeah. I think that's a good range of, of him being a pretty decent impact maker at the highest level in the world. So I, yeah. I don't think it has been just one game. Yes, they got their first multi-point games against Arizona, but for me, that doesn't mean that they've only been impactful against Arizona. Yeah, and... uh yeah, I, I'm on the same page as you, Pat. I can I completely disagree with that take, respectfully. That's good. Look at that. I like that. Um, this says this is an interesting one uh, from Mike and Killarney. Pat Pelche looked like he'd fit with the style the Coyotes were playing on Wednesday night. It would be very flames to ship out a former first rounder for a t- top pair D. Of course, Mike is referencing Jacob Chikrin all along, and this is how we'll we'll wrap this portion of the hour. But all along, Pike, I've said I'm pretty against the Flames using their high-leverage futures to go out and get a 29-, 30-year-old. That's the type of player that I don't think they need. They don't need to do uh, a redux of the Tyler Toffoli trade from last year. It made sense last year. That was a home-run acquisition, and I still 10 out of 10 believe Brad Tree Living should have gone down that road one year ago. One year later... I don't think it makes sense for them to be bringing in another guy in that age range. But if you're talking about a 24-year-old defenseman with a great cap hit for the next couple of years who can be a part of your core, different story. That's a different story. I just don't know if the Flames have the assets when it's all said and done to be able to pry Chikrin away from some of the other teams that might be circling around right now. Although Boston's out. Boston has gotten more lost. The Flames for next season, based on what I'm reading on Cap Friendly, have what? million and a half, maybe $2 million in cap space period. So they're going to need to either be shopping at the bargain bin or jettison something significant this off season. And that's without making any kind of a trade for yep. anybody with the with term next year. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't want to put the team in, in a place where you necessarily have to get fleeced on a trade in order to move space out at the off season. Uh, by the way, we are eight days from the 2023 trade deadline. It's coming up on Friday, March 3rd. We'll have lots of coverage on Sportsnet 960 The Fan and across our family of podcasts and our coverage all day long on Friday. Brought to you by the great people, Jack and the gang at Tuxedo Source for Sports. This the greatest, most family-like atmosphere the time you walk in the door. It may be trade deadline season, but it's time to gear up for another great ball season. Southern Alberta's best selection of bats, gloves, and everything you need to be at the top of your game is at Tuxedo Source for Sports, 2520 Center Street North. Hey, it's Haley Salvian from The Athletic. For a look at the latest on your Calgary Flames and NHL news, go click and subscribe to the Hockey Central 960 podcast. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Flames Talk 
is on the air and streaming on the Sportsnet mobile app. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, Calgary. Okay, it's time to go inside hockey this hour for Calgary Co-op. The beer tastes better when it's bought from the place that cheers for your team. Visit your local Calgary Co-op. Wine, spirits, beer. Today, it's uh, Steinberg and Pike, and we're eight days from the trade deadline on this Thursday, February 23rd. Some interesting notes we can look at in connection to the Flames, and just we can kind of go rapid fire through these things if you want. Um, here's where here's where I am right now. The, the thing that I would be most interested in them doing, and it's not sexy. <laughs> It's not like, uh, I don't think you're going to be making any social media cards over this one. Uh, I just think... A, <laughs> Big scoop here. I just think a, a, like a 670 is is the extent of what they should be doing, if you ask me. Um, an Oscar Fantenberg type deal. Gilbert's fine as the six right now. I've really liked Gilbert. Thought he was good again against Arizona. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be going too down the road again. Chikrin, another story. If they could make that happen, sure, that'd be awesome. Great. But realistically, yeah, if they could go the Fantenberg route, and I know that is going to have people like, Steinberg, that is the lamest take ever. Like, that's not sensationalist hey, hey, at all. He's not He's not going deep on uh, Derek Forbort here. Forbort would have been another type name. Yeah, I, I, I'd say this. I'd say this. Things I would do, step one, a couple days for the deadline, Wave Connor Mackey to give him a chance to go down to the farm and play because, you know, for just for his own good, I don't think him never playing is good for anyone. He's only played ten games this season. He's been a healthy scratch. For, he's been a healthy scratch for forty eight games. If the idea is, you know, if the idea is you, if if his time the organization is nearing its end, and that's my feeling, give him a chance to go and win a championship in the AHL. The, the, that's the the Wranglers big weakness right now I think is their is their defense they could use an ace and they just lost an ace because Dennis Gilbert's up here yeah. so you send Mackey down you give him a chance to play maybe it's an audition for a job elsewhere in North American hockey and it, then then you have a roster spot available for a potential 7th D you gain some cast space I'm I'm right there with you I think you know a little bit of insulation a little bit of insurance policy to you know Somebody that if you have to scratch them in favor of Dennis Gilbert, you're not going to be too grumpy about it. Or if you're thinking, oh, this guy's a little bit better than Gilbert, or maybe there's we're playing a team with a certain kind of stylistic fit, you want to put in someone else, someone different instead of Gilbert. That's the kind of thing. Because I think right now they default to Gilbert, which is good for Gilbert. He's deserved it. But I think giving themselves a little bit of options. They had that kind of thing right now with the forwards, where you have two extra forwards around and... The guys they have, like Richie and Rizichka, give you completely different looks, different skill sets, different positionality than each other, and different than the guys you'd be rotating in and out. So th- that give 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 themselves some flexibility that way. I think would be a nice move. Uh, this uh, from Elliot Friedman on the latest Thirty Two Thoughts written blog. Um, quote: They looked into Luke Shen, but the price looks like it went way higher than they want to pay. End quote. Um, kind of the the similar intel that I've uh, been able to ascertain is that they really haven't been close. They've been interested in the player, but have not been close in terms of an acquisition price. That can always change. It's still eight days until the deadline, but on February twenty third, last I checked, is it wasn't something that was 
Like, they weren't one of the teams that was at the front of the queue trying to bang down the door to bring in Luke Shen. So, and I, and I like to hear that because to me, Pike, Shen sounds like the type of guy that is going to, somebody's going to overpay for Shen. Somebody's going to put an asset out there that for a third pairing defenseman with, you know, kind of average negligible defensive impacts, I like Shen. Great dude, great in the room. Coach is a big fan. I just think that you need to be really careful what you're paying for that type of player. Yeah. And because he's kind of the hot commodity in his in his area, like the, the, the role that he's being uh, targeted for by other teams, it just feels like there's going to be a number of teams involved. And if Vancouver wants to move him, I think they'll be able to get a pretty good piece, and it'll probably be too much for what a guy like Shen is going to bring you for the rest of the season. I think... I apologize if I misattribute this anecdote. Both Brian Burke and Bradley Living at various times have mentioned that the biggest mistakes GMs make are around the trade deadline. I mean, we just, the, the trades we've already seen, uh, compared to the players' production, I'm pretty sure everybody overpaid. That's that's the name of the game. It's an arms race. And if you think you can win a Stanley Cup, you're okay with overpaying for guys. Uh, did the Relative to... Probably what he was worth in the in the non trade deadline market. Did the Flames overpay for Cali Yarncroke? Yeah, probably. But if you think if you think you're a Cali Yarncroke away from doing something special, that's what you do. And are we? You you know, all due respect to the local hockey heroes, are they in that position that they're a Shen or a Yarncroke or a whoever away from hoisting anything? Uh, my confidence level is lower, much lower than it was a year ago. Right. So it'd be a little bit crazier, uh, to use a term, if they made those kind of swings this year. Uh, also from Elliot in the same 32 Thoughts written blog at sportsnet.ca. It's also pinned on his Twitter account. Uh, they kicked tires, or they've kicked tires on Besser. I, I, how would that work? Like, from a cap perspective. It w- they'd be able to make it work this year, but what worries me is beyond this year. And here's... Here's why I'm I was very much for Besser earlier in the year, but as the season's gone along and the Flames have shown us kind of what they are through 58 games, I've certainly changed my tune on whether or not a guy like Besser and the price tag that he would command is something that they should do because not only will you have to give up assets to bring him in and sure, he'd help you, he's a right shot forward who can score, but a he's had a hard time staying healthy. And B, he signed for two more years at a deal that is probably a little higher than it should be. And I, you would have to give up a core member of your team to be able to retain Besser on your salary cap for next year. And the type of guy that you'd have to jettison to be able to make that happen, I don't know if I would choose it's, Besser over any of those not, guys. It wouldn't have to be money in, money out necessarily, but it would be pretty close to money in, money out. And would you want to jettison... Guys making around five to six million dollars on the current hockey club. Hannafin, Lindholm, Coleman, those would be the names that you're having to part with so to keep Brock we're, Besser. We're, and I like all those we're guys talking on the about, team better. Yeah, you're talking about the you know, the the parts that the parts that of the team that are working the best are the five million dollar ish parts. And Mount I, I don't know if you'd want to be necessarily doing that because all of a sudden then you're gonna try to you're gonna have to solve the problem you just created. And as you said earlier this hour, when you're having to solve a problem that you've created, teams are offering you a whole lot less. And now all of a sudden you're forced into maybe taking 
a bad deal to get yourself cap compliance. So I just I don't like that idea. For for Timo Meyer or Jacob Chikrin, different story. But for Brock Besser, who I don't believe is at that level, to me, he's not an elite acquisition. Good player. I'm not trying to disparage Brock Besser, the guy. He's got a great shot. He's an outside threat. He's a good hockey player, but he's not hes not a 40-50 goal threat like Meyer is, and he's not a 24-year-old potential top-pairing defenseman on a great cap hit like Chikrin is. Those guys are different if you're going to be giving up the type of assets that we're talking about. I just don't like it for Besser. And I, you know, the other guy that has come up and that has been uh, kind of added to the conversation, Elliot Friedman mentioned him earlier this week, and that's Nick Schmaltz with the Arizona Coyotes, scored a goal against the Flames on Wednesday. Kind of very similar to Besser in terms of their situation. Both right shots, both have good finishing ability. I like Schmaltz, the player, better than I like Besser. His contract or his cap hits less than Besser's, but it has one more year remaining on it compared to Besser. Yeah, I, I mean, Be- Schmaltz is about five eight for three more years Sch- after this. Schmaltz feels like if you know if you're if you're telling me that the Flames are making hockey trades, as in working to solve next year's cap challenges slash maybe change out the mix. I can, I can I can wrap my head around that, but if the idea is you're like here's the first round pick for Nick Schmaltz, and then you'd have no first rounder, and then you also have to figure out a six million dollar hole in your salary cap that you need to dig yourself out of for next year. Yeah, I mean, one 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 makes a bit more sense than the other one to me. And I, is Arizona going to make a hockey trade though? If they're going to move Schmaltz, they're probably not bringing back the, a guy. The only thing that the Arizona Coyotes seem to be interested in are players that don't play and picks and picks. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, weird things have happened, but I, you know, if I'm Bill Armstrong, I'm not giving up useful players unless you're going to give me way too much stuff for them. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I don't think the Flames will be completely quiet. I just, I don't think they should be big time players. And I'm not convinced they will be. Just listen to Elliot Friedman. You listen to Frank Saravalli. You listen to different people who have their pulse on the league as a whole, like these guys do, it seems like the Flames are a little bit less prone to be diving in headfirst like they were last year. Toffoli and Yarncroke were big acquisitions. I don't know if... I'm, I'm a so, little less convinced they're going to make that type so of deal you, this you year. feel like this year will be a bit more Ryan Carpenter and a little bit less Kelly Yarncroke? Yeah, that's probably good. Or a little less Tyler Toffoli. Yeah, because I look at Toffoli yeah. as a deadline-ish deal. I know it was, it was like made six way. weeks out or something. It was, but it was still an in-season addition that you gave up futures to bring in uh, a, a guy who that's, can help you right now. That's how I remember when Valentine's Day is. What when what the day what Tyler day Tyler the Flames got Tyler Toffoli? Uh, that'll do it. Inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Calgary's is the only family of products curated for the taste of Calgarians, and you'll only find them at Calgary Co-op. Uh, Pike Ryan Pike's on Twitter at Ryan and Pike are producers cam hughes and taylor dingman my name is pat steinberg that'll wrap us up on the sports drive brought to you by calgary lock and safe be proactive in protecting your property get a full security audit from calgary lock and safe visit calgarylockandsafe.com